So we believe that all people uh, who are Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside them. And when the Holy Spirit lives inside somebody, that person doesn't just stay the same. But they grow. The Holy Spirit grows uh, fruit inside them. And this morning, the fruit that we are looking at is gentleness. Uh, As you hear the word gentle or gentleness, uh, I wonder what is the kind of first uh, image that pops into your head. Uh, For me, um, the image that pops into my head uh, is probably the hottest commodity of 2020. It is Andrex toilet paper. Uh, I tried to Google, because I'm pretty sure there was an advert where they emphasized the gentleness. Uh, But still on the package, it might say soft and gentle. Uh, And that's what uh, comes into my head. I'm sure I'm not the only person that that happens to. As we think of uh, Andrex toilet paper, and we won't have to think of this for too long, don't worry. We might, uh, we might see it as that's sort of like, that's a, that's a premium brand toilet paper. That's pretty luxury. That's pretty uh, ideal. We're pretty privileged if we've got that, especially in 2020. We're privileged if we've got that. We're privileged if we're able to have that level of gentleness. And on the flip side, we see across... Uh, our world, and we see on the news and on social media at the moment, the complete opposites. Where we see uh, on our news as Russia invades Ukraine, we see absolutely no gentleness. We see merciless aggression. We see shocking uh, pictures, and we hear shocking stories of what is happening to people. And we might begin to question, if gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, if that's something we're all meant to emulate, that Christ is growing in us by His Spirit, we might be asking, how are the Ukrainians meant to be gentle in response to this? How does that fit in? In the face of such aggression, are they just to be gentle, passive bystanders? And I think we'd quickly say, well, no. So as we consider gentleness this morning, uh, we're going to think of it with that question in mind and we'll really get into it a bit later on. That to have gentleness and to be able to exercise gentleness is a real privilege. Uh, And as Mike said, and and he texted it to me during the week, that gentleness requires strength. It is a privilege. Uh, So with that in mind, uh, we have two passages we're going to consider. If you have a Bible in front of you, uh, please turn to 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, The words are going to come up on the screen. Uh, After I read uh, chapter 4, verses 14 to 21, then going to read the first eight verses of 1 Thessalonians 2. Uh, Gentleness, uh, or the word gentle, comes uh, at us right throughout the Bible in various different contexts. Uh, I don't think there's really a a standout passage that really uh, digs that deep into gentleness and explains it all. Uh, But there's a common thread between these two passages. In the first Corinthians, uh, we have Paul uh, positioning himself as a gentle father. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, we have Paul describing his ministry to the Thessalonians uh, as that of a gentle nursing mother. Uh, So read 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21, and then 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 8. 
I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the, thing, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love in a spirit of gentleness? And now if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, it will come up on the screen. I put a post-it note in this Bible so I didn't have to do the whole go into the contents page thing and get embarrassed up here. Um, but I'll give you a second to find it. It's 1 Thessalonians 2, 1-8. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we're ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Amen. Uh, we'll look in this Thessalonians passage uh, first, so if you have it, please keep that uh, open in front of you. Uh, and it's in verse 7 that Paul describes himself as gentle. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Uh, the but there is to contrast it with the verses he's just said before. Before, he's just explained how he didn't come to the Thessalonians. Uh, so that's from uh, verse 3 and verse 5 and 6. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. And then part of verse 5. Nor with a pretext for greed. And part of verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Uh, in, the, in the culture that Paul is writing to, uh, wise people, wise teachers who would come with all sorts of uh, nice ideas would have been uh, some of the most kind of famous uh, and well-to-do people of the day. Uh, they would potentially be like the Insta Instagram influence of today would have been the big uh, philosophers and smart people back then. There would have been a lot of people that uh, would go around and seek to gain for themselves a following. Uh, they would travel to different cities like Paul did. Uh, they would uh, have a message, and they would hope that people would accept it. And if people accepted it, 
Uh, that would look really good for this philosopher uh, or wise person who had shared it. And so many, uh, they might speak, unlike Paul, from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive. They might speak with a pretext for greed, using their message to try and extort money out of the people they are speaking to. Or they might have just done it for the status uh, to seek glory from people, from you or others. And Paul had a message that many people accepted. He's writing to a church, and he wrote to many more churches, to people that had accepted his message. So he had a right to demand all these things, to demand that they give more money to him to support his ministry, to demand that they would uh, hold him up as some kind of hero. But he doesn't go for that. Instead, he is gentle. And he's able to be gentle because he has the strength of having far greater riches and glory than anything they could give him. Paul is able to be gentle because he has the strength and the riches of knowing Christ. If he was desperately searching for more, desperately searching for more glory from people or more money from people, he wouldn't have had the privilege of being able to come to them gently. But he knew he had far greater than they could ever offer him. He knew that he had everything that could ever satisfy, everything he could ever need, everything he could ever want in knowing Jesus Christ. We spend so much of our lives wrapped up in busyness, uh, searching after things. We probably wouldn't describe much of our lives as gentle. Uh, each day it's a, it's a commute to work and it's hours of work and it's busy and there's a lot on. You come home and there's, uh, there's housework to do or there's kids to tend to and there's uh, endless groups to cart kids off to. And life is really busy and we'd be really hard-pressed to describe our lives as gentle. And some of these things are good things. But we probably often find ourselves uh, searching uh, via using these things or, or just um, for things beyond what we already have. We find ourselves searching for something more. Feeling not quite satisfied with what we have getting an iPhone uh, 12 and then seeing the iPhone 13 come out and wanting that one. Or getting a car and then seeing a, a later model or seeing somebody on holiday and wishing you were on an even better holiday. We find ourselves often searching for something and forgetting the fact that, that we don't need that rush that might trap so many people, that might even trap us. But through our lives, we can have a gentleness in knowing that the greatest riches there ever could be or have been are to be found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is not to be uh, found uh, through busyness, through searching and searching for something. But Jesus Christ is a God who has searched for us. Or perhaps you don't actually feel like you're, uh, you're that much searching for something. Now, perhaps you look at the things that you might have in the world and feel pretty satisfied just with what you have. And that you can kind of push faith to the side and life will still be okay. 
Because the good job is there, the good family is there, the good car is there. And everything's kind of all together. And we can kind of take Christ as an add-on to that, those things. Or we can just push him to the side and be fine altogether. But then we're missing out. We're trading the glorious riches of knowing Christ for the temporal things that don't last and do not eternally satisfy of earth. Paul was able to be gentle in his sharing with the Thessalonians because he knew that the greatest treasure was was the treasure of knowing Jesus. The other way Paul says uh, he does not come uh, in this chapter is in verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, and then we continue to verse 7, but we were gentle. Uh, in his message, uh, Paul feels absolutely no need to kind of butter up the Thessalonians for them to accept it. That uh, He's got a message, but he wants to really, really make sure that they accept it. And so he's going to add on all these extra nice things. He might miss out uh, some of the harsher truths. But he's able to be gentle because he's confident in the content and the power of the message that he is sharing. Paul's able to be gentle uh, because, as he calls it, he is able to trust in the gospel of God and able to share that with them. He knows the power isn't in his words or his tactics, but in the power of the gospel. Uh, So back in 2013, uh, on December 13th, uh, Beyonce came out with the album called Beyonce. And she did absolutely no promo for it whatsoever. Uh, Nobody except uh, her and her producers uh, knew that the album was going to come out. Uh, But it suddenly dropped uh, only on iTunes on December 13th. And it went straight to number one of the US charts. And it went straight to number two of our charts here. No promo. Artists would spend months uh, or years, you know, releasing uh, the odd song, uh, doing tours and releasing things to promote their album. And she did absolutely nothing. Not out of laziness, uh, not to try uh, something new, but because she knew that the power of her selling her albums was the fact that she was so famous and well-known. She didn't need anything else to sell her albums but herself. The gospel of God that Paul trusted in is so powerful that he did not need flattery or any other smart tactics or whatever to sell it onto the Thessalonians. He was able to gently share with them his life, share with him the gospel, and trust that God would do uh, something powerful through that. We might often uh, say or or think as we consider those in our family or our friends uh, or in workplaces or whatever who don't know Jesus, we might uh, tend to wish that if the church was just a bit Uh, a bit fuller or a bit better, or if Christians were a little less weird or whatever, that these people might come to believe in Jesus. We might think that uh, if we just get the perfect event or we get an inspiring enough speaker, that these people will come to believe in Jesus. Or we might think if, well, uh, and there are sadly churches and Christians that have gone this way, we might think, well, if we 
if we just don't talk about certain things of the Bible, or we try and distort and change what they say, hide that away and just talk about other stuff, then maybe we'll be relevant enough for people to come and believe in Jesus. And we might want to be tempted to go to such great lengths to move absolutely every single barrier to faith in Jesus. And in doing so, we might forget that we are not to be trusting in ourselves or in these other things, but we are to be trusting in the power of God in the gospel to save people. Now, Paul, as he writes this, um, he also writes uh, in Romans that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. If we accept that, then we, don't, we really don't need to trust at all in our own works or any smart ideas we could come up with for people to be saved, but we trust in the power of the gospel. This is a powerful gospel with a powerful God behind it that has been saving people for 2,000 years. And it's going to be saving people for thousands or millions of years more until Jesus comes back. This room, full of people who know and love Jesus, is a testament to that. This same gospel that Paul shared with the Thessalonians is the same gospel that was shared with us, that made us believers in Jesus. Paul is able to be gentle because he doesn't trust uh, in himself or in other things to get his message across. He trusts in the power of God to work through the gospel of God. Uh, turn with me back to 1 Corinthians 4, uh, if you still have it. Uh, and we're really just going to be uh, sort of considering the last verse of that chapter. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? As Paul writes this, um, this part of the, the chapter is kind of positioned between um, some pretty harsh words from Paul. Uh, so chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is talking about divisions in the church. And he's saying how bad these divisions are uh, and how much they are a distraction away from Christ. And the chapter after, uh, he's talking about uh, sexual immorality that's come into the church, uh, where people are sleeping with family members. And he's harsh and he's aggressive on it. And in the midst of this, we have Paul saying that he's coming to them not with a rod, but with love in a spirit of gentleness. Paul is able to be gentle in response to the sin uh, that is reeking through the church. Because he comes to them as a gentle father, as we see in verse 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And a father in response to a child's uh, disobedience or a child's failure, or a good father, does not come berating the child, but comes with love in a spirit of gentleness. Now think of a father uh, with a small child who is learning to walk. Uh, the child uh, gets up onto their feet, um, stumbles along, and will inevitably fall over after not very long. And they might try again immediately, and the same thing will probably happen. And they'll try again in a week, and the same thing will happen. And I actually don't know how long it takes to train a child to walk, so I don't want to go months or years. But the child will fail a lot at learning to walk. 
And the father's not going to, uh, after the first failure, go there and be like, this child is useless. I'm finished with them. Even if the child has, finished, uh, has failed a few more times, the father doesn't remove themselves and think this child is useless. Or even a father of a disobedient child, maybe it's not just that they're a kind of innocent failure and not being able to walk, but children who so often do the complete opposite of what the parents say, no matter how many times or how passionately the parents say it. But again, a good and a gentle father does not then wash their hands of the child, but they gently when needed and firmly when needed love the child and restore them and tell the child how loved they are and help them. Paul is able to be gentle in response to sin because he comes to them as a gentle father, knowing that he himself is a sinner, one who has failed and who will fail so often. And these things that Paul learned about gentleness, being able to be gentle because he uh, knows that the richness of knowing Christ is better, being able to be gentle because he trusts in the power of the gospel, being able to be gentle in response to sin, are not just smart ideas that Paul kind of learned from himself or just thought of, but they're ideas he learns uh, from Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, is described as gentle by himself, as gentle and lowly. Uh, and before we kind of look at that, uh, I just want to flag uh, one book. I have it on Kindle, so I don't have it here to show you. Um, but it's called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, I know some people in the church have read it. Uh, it's by Dane Ortland. Um, I think it is the best Christian book that I've read most of in the past two years. Um, it is genuinely fantastic. It's, uh, it's all about Jesus, and you, and you read uh, bits, and you think, this seems kind of too good to be true. Um, but then it's filled uh, with scripture that points to why this is true, of how wonderful Jesus is. Uh, and so if I could encourage you to read any book, apart from the Bible, uh, I would go for it, Gentle and Lowly. Um, and if you would like somebody to read it with, uh, I would also like that, so I could finish the book. Um, so please do uh, make use of that. But Paul learned his gentleness from Jesus, from the life of Jesus and the words of Jesus. But one image that might come into our heads when we think of Jesus and gentle is one that might seem like the complete opposite. The scene where Jesus enters the temple, uh, sees it um, changed into people who are extorting people into a, a den of thieves. And he knocks over the tables, he gets a whip and he drives them out. And we look at that and we see probably the complete opposite of gentleness. And so again, like with the Ukraine-Russia situation, we might wonder, in circumstances like that, what is the use of gentleness? How is God calling us to be gentle if we have Jesus driving out people from a temple with a whip? If this was kind of the um, the overarching theme of Jesus' ministry, I think um, that that question would, have, uh, would really struggle to answer it. If every, in every chapter of the Gospels, or in every scene we see Jesus, uh, he's this aggressive figure, 
uh, even with righteous anger, but, um, but fighting for what he's fighting for, we might not get the picture that he's gentle. But we see throughout the Gospels that the overarching theme or the overarching uh, kind of characteristic as part of Jesus' ministry was him being gentle in reaching out to those who are sick, to those who are needy, of welcoming and reaching out to children. And him being gentle most of the time makes his aggression, like that in the temple, or in some of his dealings with the Pharisees, so much more powerful. If somebody is aggressive the whole time, that aggression really starts to lose its value. If somebody's up in arms about everything, it kind of ends up with them actually just being up in arms about nothing. It's, if it's level 100 every time, there's no issue that kind of seems to increase the anger. But we have a Jesus who is constantly gentle. And so we know that, hey, if something's made Jesus aggressive, this is a really big deal. That something really awful is going on here. And so his aggression is a righteous aggression. And that brings us on to how we might feel about gentleness and Ukraine. If it requires strength and privilege to be gentle, then we can look at Ukraine and see that that privilege has been taken away. Because gentleness does not mean for a Ukrainian uh, or for us as we, as we give aid and that sort of thing. You, gentleness does not mean to let your neighbor suffer. It does not mean to sit back uh, as your nation, as your friends, as your family are slaughtered and attacked. Gentleness does not mean letting your neighbor suffer. But gentleness means that we pick our battles, that there are times that call um, for, for fighting back for the Ukrainians. Because a father would never stand by and watch their child be attacked. A nursing mother would never stand by uh, and watch their child be attacked. And so for the Ukrainians, as they are to be gentle, that also requires fighting for them to stand up to their enemies with aggression. We see Jesus uh, as gentle a little bit more. Uh, so think of, of the power of Jesus, God himself, maker of heaven and earth. And he arrives on earth as a small crying baby. What is more, more of a contrast uh, from that huge power to a baby? And then from the beginning of his life to the end of it, as he approaches his death on the cross, he is a lamb slaughtered for us. A gentle lamb, still the most powerful being in all creation, but succumbing to death. Not even saying uh, hardly a word at his trial. 
still on the cross, uh, not reviling those who would mock him. Still on the cross, offering salvation to those who really did not deserve it. And as we look at Jesus on the cross, we can see that same salvation offered to us. That though we, uh, through failure or through disobedience, all of us sinful, all of us rejecting God so often, and yet Jesus' response to that was not to wash his hands with us and to do away with us, but with his power (laughs) under control, gently to sacrifice his life on the cross for us. But then, uh, we do not just celebrate uh, uh, the death of our Savior, but we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. And that through that resurrection, uh, he makes us a new creation. And being a new creation, we are able to become children of God. Children of God with a gentle Father. And so God as he sees us uh, fail and stumble time and time again. He doesn't throw his hands up in despair. He does the unthinkable. In the parable of the prodigal son, he runs out to meet us. His son Jesus runs all the way from heaven to earth to meet us. And our God wraps us up in gentle arms. He knows the very worst things we have ever done and ever thought and ever will do and ever will think. And yet he has open arms to us. And these arms that, um, that, that enwrap us, they are gentle to us, but they are fierce and aggressive to anything that would try to take us from his arms. And we'll finish with this, and we see this at the end of Romans 8. Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swords? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that we can be gentle. That we can be gentle in a world that is so busy searching for something. Thank you that we can remain gentle because we know that what people are searching for is you. And you have searched out us and you have saved us. Lord, thank you that we can be gentle Uh, with our sharing of the gospel. 
because we know that the power is in you and not in us. Lord, thank you that we can be gentle in response to sin because sin is dealt with by your Son on the cross. Lord, thank you that he was gentle, that he was slaughtered as a lamb for us, that he was risen to make us children of God, wrapped up in your arms, and that you will never let us go. Amen.